Good morning, everyone. I'm just a man. I need your power. It's so true. Today we're going to talk about breakthroughs. Today we're talking about coming to our senses. Coming to our senses. Before we do that, I want to just uh, just to say a word of encouragement today. As we look around the church, as you uh, are on Zoom and looking at each other through the boxes, um, there are so many things going on as a church that we do not see going on. Just this morning, all the way from South Jersey, my friend Stephen Caiaphas drove up to be at church this morning, an hour and a half. I mean, I, I inspired inspired by him, inspired by others. I mean, there is just so much going on as you follow Jesus that people won't see. People won't praise you for. Being a disciple is a thankless position that we assume. And so go ahead and turn to the person next to you and just say thank you. On God's behalf, you are communicating thank you. Thank you to our AV team. Thank you to our worship team. Thank you for the so many that serve. Coming to your senses, there's a lot of things in our lives. There's a lot of times in our lives, whether it's due to our own accidents and due to our own sin or due to circumstances around us, and sometimes it's not even our fault, but things happen and we find ourselves in a stuck place. We find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be. And then the worst part is that when we look around, whether it's us or maybe sometimes we look around and we see those that we love about, we love and care about also in stuck positions, in places that they don't want to be. And maybe you're not in that place right now, praise God. You may be one day, because we know that all things naturally drift towards disorder until acted upon by an outside force. But whether or not you're in a position where you're feeling like, man, I don't want to be here spiritually, emotionally, physically, whether that's you or not, I hope that today's lesson encourages you and equips you how to not only help others, but how to help yourself navigate the crazy throws that life really throws at us right? We need some encouragement together. Amen? Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to briefly look at a familiar story, hopefully from a a, a refreshed perspective. But in Luke chapter 15, we'll be looking at a story known as the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And the word prodigal simply means wasteful. And here's a person who started off in a good place and wandered and drifted. I think we can relate to this this young man at times as well. He's just a man. In verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, a young son got together the, young, the younger son got together all he had, sent off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to field to, to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. There's a story I think all of us can relate to, right? Here's a young man who started off kind of with everything and then went and wasted, went and made mistakes. What Dylan and Diamond were saying, went and, and, and tried to, to, to curate a life that was not fulfilling or satisfying, and then he was empty. He was busted and disgusted. He was dented and discontented. I mean, he was just a mess. He hit rock bottom. You ever hit rock bottom? He hit rock bottom, and then he grabbed a shovel and kept digging. He ran out of everything he had, everything that he, you know, he, he, he asked his, his father for. He ran out for all of those things. And instead of immediately going back to his father for help, he grabbed a shovel and attempted to fix his own problems. And it only got worse. Can you relate to that? I know I can. I love what Morrison says here. Yikes, there you go. Give me one more, Larney. In his rebellion and disobedience, he wasn't himself. In his years of riot, he was not himself. It was not the prodigal who was the real man. The real man was the penitent, not the prodigal. You know, it's interesting as we read this story, there's a moment in verse 17 where he comes to his senses. And that's a beautiful phrase, but in the Greek, it's more literally, he came to himself. He had been wandering and running away from himself for so long, and then finally he came back to who he was originally supposed to be and did what he needed to do. When we rebel and when we disobey, when we riot, we are not ourselves. We are not who we were designed to be. Instead, we're drifting away, attempting to navigate and curate who you think you ought to be. Go to this next slide. You know this commercial really well. You're not, hung you're not you when you're hungry, right? Maybe a picture of Betty White or something on there. It's like you're whatever. Anyway, so you're not you when you're hungry. And it's still true of what we're talking about here. You're not you when you disobey, when you rebel, and when you riot. When you find yourselves at the rock bottom or drifting, that is not you. That is a foreign, that's not even who you are meant to be. That's just some crazy infiltrating idea that's sneaking into the pocket. You know, in eighth grade, I'm gonna keep this up here, make you hungry. In eighth grade, 
Uh, as, as has been said multiple times, I've, I also have gotten a chance to grow up in this community right here in New Jersey. I, uh, I, for many years, I would sit there, and then in 2013, I moved to there, and then I'm still there, right? I'm not trying to move anywhere. But, uh, but In March, I could tell you the order of the books of the Bible, um, but but there was there was a lot of sin going on behind the facade, right? My mom, uh, bless her heart, it, she's still alive. But my mom, bless her heart, she she told me, and she would tell others, I think my son is possessed by a demon. Now I don't know where your theological stance is with that on the spiritual. I don't know if I was or not, but uh, but the things that I was Seth, Seth's like, yeah, you were. Um, all I know was I was wiling. It went from uh, impurity, went from where it was to worse, the beast that was never satisfied. I'm not quite sure the, uh, the statues of limitations of what I'm about to share here, but I remember in eighth grade, my brother and I, after fighting almost every single day for years, my mom would come home and find my brother, who's two years younger than me, often bloody in the front porch crying, waiting for my mom to come home. And there was a day that I remember where we were in the kitchen and I had pulled, essentially I went to the steak knife drawer, 12 inches. I pulled out a knife, put it on the counter and, and I, that kind of said what it said. And he locked himself in the bathroom. He called my mom. And for the year following that time, um, my mom essentially hired a babysitter or a house sitter, someone in the church because she couldn't trust me home alone with my sixth grade brother. And I, I, I look back to that time and I feel a lot of different emotions, guilt, shame, rock bottom, certainly. But when I think about this verse coming to his senses, I was not myself. And as the sin went from bad to worse and I was climbing down the stairs into the basement of sin, I had planned on really going deeper into sin that summer, and somehow, some way, my family got me to a teen camp, to our church's camp with hundreds of teenagers all across, kind of in the spectrum of spirituality, to this camp where I remember sitting there and someone read a scripture that essentially was Galatians 5.19. The acts of sin are obvious. You know what they are. Sin, 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 sin. And those of you who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And for the first time in my, I don't know, 14, 13 years of living, I think I came to my senses. I sobered up real quick. And I saw, man, where am I going? What am I doing? If I keep living this way, I will not go to heaven. And that began, began this journey, like the prodigal son, of turning and returning back to my father. And I, I, I so appreciate that coming to your senses moment. And I, I, I'm sure so many of you have experienced a moment like that. And the reality, I think there's so many of us that desire and crave that and pray for that for the people around us. Don't you want to see people come to their senses? Don't you want to come to your senses? So the question I want to propose to us today is, 
How do we participate in that? How do we foster the moment of coming to our senses? Next scripture, or next, nope, <laughs> next slide. There are so many moments throughout the Bible, and I'm going to reference a few here, then we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures. But there are so many moments, uh, the come to their senses moment that we see throughout scripture. I'm sure you could think about some, right? We think about Pharaoh as he opposed Egypt. God came in and in one moment softened his heart, hardened his heart and softened his heart again and eventually sent the Israelites out into the desert. There was a coming to their senses moment where God opened Pharaoh's eyes and said, just go. So we see that God works and moves in the hearts of those around us. You know, there, there is Jonah. Jonah, who had the full intention, said, Jonah the prophet, God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I need you to go east to Nineveh. And he booked the first boat west somewhere else. He's like, I am not going there. And as he's going in that direction, God throws him overboard, gets put in the belly of a big fish, a.k.a. a whale, and then spits him out. And Jonah comes to his senses and becomes one of the greatest advocates for God in Nineveh. And the city has changed. God helps a man come to his senses and utilizes a big fish. God looks at Paul, or God looks at Saul, the person who was I mean, if you could just imagine the biggest enemy against Christianity, the biggest proponent, the, the person you're most afraid of showing, to your, showing up at your door, that's Saul. And God looks at Saul and goes, I got something for you. Boom. Hits him with blindness. Three days he gropes about trying to figure out his reality. And then finally turns to Jesus. And as you've heard me say, goes from killing Christians to becoming a killer Christian, right? God changed his mind. He helped Paul, or Saul, come to his senses. The first century disciples, oh my goodness, Jesus comes to them, says, come follow me, and people are jumping out of boats. People are leaving their families behind, the nets behind, and they go, I'm coming to you, Jesus. There was a coming to their senses of this is the greatest opportunity in my life. I want to experience that, right? Now, in thinking about how do we experience this, how do we help people come to their senses, how do we navigate this, I do think that when the first disciples were called in the account of Mark, it is a bit, what's the word? It's a bit misleading, right? We see John and James and Andrew and Peter, Simon Peter, go and follow them immediately. Mark, for the sake of brevity, doesn't give the whole story. And Luke, on the other hand, when, when Jesus calls Simon, there's not an immediate, yes, I'll come with you. Instead, the first thing that happens is that Jesus goes to the home of Simon Peter, and he heals his mother-in-law, right? But Simon's not a disciple yet. He hasn't fallen to the knees of Jesus. He goes and preaches in the boat with uh, with the, his, he preaches in Peter's boat. And after hearing Jesus in your boat preach an amazing sermon, Peter still hasn't come to his senses yet and hasn't surrendered yet. And then finally, Jesus says, I know you've been fishing all day, but cast your net onto the other side and you'll catch a great catch. 
Peter does it and sees the miracle. I mean, healing the mother-in-law, right, wasn't that a miracle? But it was the fish. Oh, my gosh, right? It's amazing. The fish come, and it just uh, fills the boat, and he falls before Jesus and just, oh, like, just surrenders himself, comes to his senses, finds himself, as, as Dylan was saying earlier, he finds himself. But what happened? Two things I think we can do and one thing we can't do that helps foster the come to their senses moment. And the first is love. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30 and into 13, verse 8, Paul says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And begins explaining what love is. And then he says in verse 8, love never fails. How can we help people experience and come to their senses? Well, we love the person. We make the most of every opportunity. We go to the home. We walk with them. We love them. We serve them. We think about Jesus and Simon, and there were multiple touches of love over the course of days and weeks that eventually turned and helped him see things clearly. If there's someone in your life that you want to help come to their senses, I'm not saying this is the only solution, but what can you do? You can love them. You can walk with them. You can serve them. You can connect with them. You can look them in the eyes and give them your time. Because love never fails. If that's the best thing that you can do, you have done it. Love never fails. The second thing that we see here that you can do to help someone come to their senses alongside with loving them is to teach them. We think about the story of the Berean Jews in Acts chapter 17 as Paul goes from town to town. He shows up in Thessalonica, Thessalonica and he's like, Yo, these guys, I don't know about them, right? But then he goes to Berea and goes, man, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they, exa they eagerly examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul and Silas said were true. And as a, as a result, many uh, prominent Greek women and men uh, turned and followed Jesus, right? So what's so cool here is that with instruction, with preaching, with teaching, with sitting down and looking at the scriptures and talking and wrestling and explaining the word of God, that may be something that helps your loved one come to their senses. Or it may be something that helps you come to your senses. When you're feeling stuck and you're feeling like, I need to get out of where I am, first thing is going to God's word and studying it out knowing his word, understanding his word, eagerly examining the scriptures every day to see if, if what's being said is true. Involving people into your life with vulnerabilities saying, hey, this is where I'm at and I need help. Can you help me? Those are things that I believe God uses to help us come to our senses. But for those that you love and want to help, offering the opportunity to teach, not forcing the opportunity to teach, but offering the opportunity to, to teach. We teach daily. We present clearly. We encourage and we expect those that we're helping to study out on their own. Because it's not our convictions that's going to help someone get to where they need to be. It's going to be their own wrestling with the scriptures 
that helps us come to our senses. Amen? Holding out the truth, not watering it down, allowing God's word to change our heart. Before you turn there, Larnie, the last thing that I believe is, is, is necessary in helping people come to their senses is actually something that we cannot do. In fact, in most cases, as we look at these different stories that we just discussed here, in most cases, there are very little human interaction involved in their transformation. I believe firmly that the Department of Transportation, nope, sorry, the Department of Transformation, the, the DTP, right? Um, the Department of Transformation is solely God's department. And so as we look at this next slide, with very little human intervention, God's department, God alone is the one that changes your heart and changes the hearts of those around you. You can love, you can teach, but they're not changing. What about God? God I recognize that you love this person. You love me more than I can even think or imagine. I trust that you are doing a great work. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, in talking about the power of God, it says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church. Paul makes the point in Ephesians chapter 3, God is capable of doing immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. But guys, guys and girls, I, I think sometimes in our nature, we are sheepish to ask, and we're afraid to imagine. We're sheepish to ask because, well, well oh man, it's a tongue twister. I mean, because God, what if I ask and it doesn't get answered? What if I imagine and dream and hope that God's going to do amazing things, and then it doesn't happen? And so what do we do? We find a cap to what we're willing to ask. We find a cap to what we're willing to imagine. And it's way, way lower than what God is capable of doing. Sometimes we pray prayers that honestly don't require God. But it's wrestling with God, recognizing you can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. I shared this with our college students a few Wednesdays ago, but the, we had a brother from Kansas City come, and, or Lawrence, Kansas, come and preach for our campus ministry, and getting quality time with him, uh, I was just asking, hey, what's been inspiring you? What's, what's been really cool? How has God been moving? And he shared with me Ephesians 3.20 and said, as a group, we got together and said, all, all bars off, like, what can God do? And every person in their 30, 40-person campus ministry began praying every day that one member of their family would become a Christian. That had never happened in the eight years of that campus ministry's existence. Not one family member became a Christian. And so as a group, every day, they started praying together individually, collectively together. They just started praying, God, save our family. Transform our family. Do what you can do with our family, whatever. Within that year, two family members became Christians. Now, I think you're expecting like 15 family members became Christians. But two family members 
after eight years of having never seen that happen, that was worth everything. You know, when we imagine and pray and just put before God that he is capable of doing immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, we find the, the strength and the confidence to know that he is working, he is moving, he is transforming. It is ultimately God alone who changes hearts. Our prayers, our begging, our fasting. Honestly, I, I don't totally understand our role in that sometimes. All I know is that God can do it. And so when I pray and when I fast, all I'm doing is just saying, God, you got this. And I put this in your hands. Whether that be for my heart or for the heart of those that I love. God alone brings the transformation. I want to just give a, a special shout out to my friend Tyler, who became your brother in Christ a few weeks ago. Tyler Massey. Tyler, as we were studying the Bible together, there was a time where Tyler decided, you know what, guys, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about all this. I'm not sure if I want that. I, I do, but I don't know if I'm ready. And John and I and the brothers were like, oh, oh man, this is so hard to hear. And then there was silence. And then as the week, the two weeks went by, we got a text from Tyler. Hey, I'm coming to the retreat. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then he came to the retreat, and it was just, it was amazing watching the scales fall from Tyler's eyes. And I remember he came to John and I and said, guys, I, I'm ready to do this. We're like, what? Are you serious? It's like, no, I'm, I'm ready to make Jesus Lord. And then a week and a half later, he became your brother in Christ. Come on. Ty, that is so inspiring, bro. Your example is so powerful. But it just goes to show sometimes away from all human interaction, God working on the heart changes people. And so what can we do? Next slide. We love, we teach, we pray because we know it's only on God, and we repeat. We do that again and again and again so that we can come to our senses and so that we can help others as well. If you are in need of getting out of where you are, get around love. Surround yourself with people who will love you deeply. If you don't know who that is, talk to Sari. She's incredible. She'll love you deeply, all right? Get around people who will love you deeply because love never fails. Ask for instruction. Read God's word. Go to a place where you will learn and hear the word of God. Do not isolate yourself from the truth and pray. Get on your knees and beg God for your soul. God loves those prayers. I really believe if there's a, a, a ranking of God's favorite prayers, God loves when we humbly prostrate ourselves before him. He opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. When we ask him to help, he answers and changes. But if you're concerned about someone else and there's someone that you love deeply that you want to help come to their senses, love them deeply. Love them with all your heart, holding nothing back. Offer looking at scriptures. Offer Bible studies. Offer an invitation to a place where they're going to be taught God's word and then get on your knees and pray for them. Pray because you know that God alone is the one that changes their souls. Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that in the long road of life amongst the many speed bumps and road closures and detours necessary, that you do not ever, ever give up on us, nor do you give up on those around us, but you love and you are concerned and you give us ways to help us come to our senses. God, I pray for each person in this room in the areas of our lives where we are stuck right now the sin or the circumstances or the problems. I'm not even asking you to change the circumstances, but I do pray that you change us, that you mold our hearts to help be more aligned with you, to think like you, to love like you, to experience the peace and freedom that comes from you. And God, I know that each person, each son and daughter of yours here is concerned about someone else. Many people, in fact, but God, you know them. And so I pray that you help us have a greater capacity to love. Help us with the instruction and the word and just be, to be, be people who can connect others to your word. But Lord, we know that you are more concerned about their growth and their development than we can ever be. And so Father, please change hearts. Have your thumbprint and your watermark and your signature all over it like your son Tyler coming home to you or other people making the decision to follow you or repent from sin. God, change hearts, please. We pray for sons and daughters. Pray for those who've walked away from you. We pray that they come to their senses and return back to the most gracious Father who runs out to us in the distance. Thank you, God. We love you so much. Your sons, let me pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody.